Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I love that thought. That you're our salvation. That it's your love who defends us. And um, Boy, God, I hope that brings us some comfort as we work through this material together today. Um, I don't know. For the folks listening, I'm sure there's this real pain. There have been times, I'm sure, every single person felt like they didn't have an advocate. Felt like they were alone. Felt like there was no hope. It's like I can't think of a better declaration than it is true, God, that your love is what defends us. So do we cling to that, particularly in our world right now, which is uh, so murky and gray, and boy, is it hard to be in the messy middle of all of it. And, but yet, God, your love defends us. Your spirit restores us. Your spirit is in the process of bringing restoration to our world, and so God, would we be a part of that today? So God, as we open up your word, would you align our thoughts and ways with your thoughts and ways? And would you give us the courage to pursue you, to serve others, to declare your goodness to all that we encounter, to all the people we encounter, in grace and truth and love, God. And so God, we could just uh, really use your wisdom, love, what we talked about last week, Lord, that these new officers in the gospel, these deacons, they're full of faith and wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So God, would you fill us with faith and trusting that even when there seems to be no way, you are making a way. Would you fill us with your Spirit, God? The same power, Jesus, that conquered the grave, brought death to life. God, now would it invade us? And God, would you fill us with wisdom? That's why we're position to hear more about your word now. So God, we thank you for that opportunity. Pray that anything that's not of you would be struck from the record. And I mean it sincerely, God. If you need to strike me mute or strike me dead, whatever you need to do to have your word go out in your ways so that our ways can be like your ways. We are submissive to that. I am submissive to that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sharing with us how much you love us. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, guys. Really, really happy to see you. If uh, you're joining us for the first time, um, I'm glad you're here uh, in the little, you know, description box. There's a place you can click to kind of self-identify a little connect card that says, hey, I'm here. And for all of you that, that are joining online, if you've got prayer requests, got questions about the content, that we, we covered that on Tuesday in our overtime podcast. And if you've got questions about that stuff, would you— would you join in by writing a comment? Or you can say hello now, say hello to each other. This could be kind of like the, you know, the, the uh, impromptu, shake people's hands. Do all those things. Engage with each other. Engage online. Let us know you're there. Let us know how we can pray for you. I would love to do all those things. But if you are joining us um, for the first time, or it's been a while since you've been with us, um, we, we kind of teach in what's called a series, and by that just means it's going to take us more than one week to get through it. And trust me, you want that because it's a lot of content, and it would we, we could stay here for about the next eight to ten hours, and we could cover it all. So we kind of is kind of covered it in sections. And so what we've been is in the Book of Acts, but this isn't a comprehensive study of the Book of Acts; is a comprehensive study of the the person who underwrites the movement of the Book of Acts, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so kind of uh, to understand the Holy Spirit, you've got to understand who God is. And understanding who God is, you've got to understand his heart. In order to understand his heart, you've got to know his word. And so if you look at the Bible, 66 books, 
written over 1,500 years, just one story about a God who loves us so much that he, he, would, he, would, he was willing to and did do things that were, were beyond our understanding, right? That even at times seem reckless. To, to, to create his children, to pursue his children when they walked away from him, and then to draw them back to him. And so the way that we kind of look at that is kind of in, in, in these four themes or you know, four sections, I guess. Uh, that you, you think about the scriptures now, it's not like section one is this, section two is this. This story is found, this whole story you can see actually in the book of Genesis, just in the first three chapters. But <clears throat> to understand this, what we have to understand is that God is um, so complicated and yet so beautiful and loving and gracious. And the God we're talking about is this God that we call the triune God. One God, three distinct persons. So really, really mind-blowing that they, uh, long before he existed, God existed. He was self-sustaining, self-fulfilling, self-providing. You know, like he didn't need anything else, didn't, that wasn't dependent on anything or anyone else. He just was and existed in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the way we've kind of been looking at this is it was actually kind of an act of God the Father's will to go, you know what? All this love that we share, all this community that we share as a triune God is infinite. Let's actually make, right? Let's actually make some kind of object, not just object, but a human to be able to receive that love, not because God was needy and needed us to love him, but because he wanted to pour his love out on us. Same reason we decided to have kids finally go, hey, we have some resources, or oops, we don't have any resources, but we're going to make it happen, right? And, and you didn't do that because you thought life would be easier because they, your kids would uh, even be appreciative of it. You did it because you loved them, wanted to share that love, wanted to invite your children to, to, to your family kind of thing, right? And so in the beginning there was God. He, he kind of spoke the world into existence, and he ushered in creation. And he says something so crazy. He says, hey guys, that part I added, but he says, let us, that's plural, that's pretty interesting there, make man in our own image and likeness. So God, an act of his will, ushered in creation, right? And he made men and women, us, in his image, right? With his characteristics, to be his children, right? So an act of God's will, creation, then, then an act of those humans' will, right? So God creates humans and Within moments of creation, things go from great. It says they're good, very good. God walked in the garden in the cool of the night. So Adam and Eve, these first humans and God, they, they were together. And some of you have a hard time with that. Yeah, that sounds like a really, really crazy story. And I just would argue and I'd or offer, is there a better explanation for how humans got here? I mean, I understand it's hard to wrap our mind around that, but... I mean, is that harder to wrap our mind around that or these elements that, I guess, just existed? That just kind of banged together, right? And so, right? And even that, even if that is how God ushered it in, that doesn't really explain the why we're here. Maybe it explains a how or a possibility or the what happened. But to understand the why, I mean, is there a better explanation than how humans got here and how we feel love, right? If we're just a bag of chemicals, and we feel love and sadness and fear, and it's because we are made in the image of God, and we had this longing from the very beginning where us and God were in perfect harmony, perfect community. And you go, well, it doesn't seem that way anymore. That's absolutely true. What's happened is, even though we were in that perfect harmony you see in Genesis, that humans, Adam and Eve, us, 
kind of go, we like our plan better than yours, God. That's just called sin. And we all have it. We have sins of commission, the things we do that we shouldn't do. We have sins of omissions, the things that we should do that we don't do. All sorts of complications. But at the the base level, it's just us going, hey, we like ourselves. We like our plan better than yours. And every single one of us have done it. Either directly towards the God we know exists or indirectly because you don't believe God exists. So why would you follow his plan, right? And so as a result of that, an act of God's will was to usher this all in, an act of human will, that to us, was to kind of turn our back and go, oh, God, we like our plan better than yours. And from that point forward, there's been this chasm, this, this separation between us and God, and we can't quite get back or can't even get close to getting back, right? Like, so there's this huge gap. And this explains a lot of how our world's so broken and run amok, and it just seems aimless and complicated and painful. And yep, it seems at times that God seems far away. And even when you read through the Old Testament, there are times that people who love God just felt like he was so far away. Even between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this 400-year period where these people who believed in the self-sustaining Yahweh God were wondering if he had just given up on his people. And so that's kind of part of the feeling we still have. Is God not in this? Why is the world so messy? All those kind of things. And we're kind of in this, this place of going, our world is fallen and broken, and we can't depend on government. We can't depend on political ideology. We can't even depend on our own family and our, our you know, any kind of leader or celebrity or anything else. It just seems like there's just some hopelessness in that. Same hopelessness that we find 2,000 years ago when people are just wondering if God was done with them. Right? If he was some kind of clockmaker God who just twist it all together, and set it down and let it just run its course. But throughout the Old Testament, there's this whisper that where there was no way, God was going to make a way, that he created it, we broke it, but God was going to make a way. He tells us that in Genesis 11 that he's going to bless all nations, and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to cover all of his people, and that he will love them forever. And then we start hearing the whispers of that, of this coming Savior, and then right about 2,000 years ago, actually the reason we keep time the way that we do, this baby was born, but he wasn't just a baby. He was God, God's son, who came and made his dwelling among us, made his dwelling among us. And so an act of God's will was to create all this, usher in creation. An act of our will was to walk away from it. An act of God's son, Jesus' will, was actually to step into this world and live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. And the reason he did that was to actually redeem us. That word literally means to buy back. So he comes and buys back us to God, right? The son of God became a son of man so that sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of God, right? So the son of God became the son of man so that sons and daughters of men could be sons and daughters of God. And so God, uh, Jesus ushers that in, says for the wages of our sin is death, and that's a consequence, that's what, that's what we deserve. And Jesus goes, no, 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 there's a, there's a price tag on you, but I, you can't actually afford to pay it I'm going to buy you back. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, the Son. And so the story goes, God created it. We messed it up, and Jesus comes and redeems us. And we're going, that is a beautiful story. And many of us believe it, but we're going, why is our world still so broken? Why do we feel so handcuffed? Why do we feel like we can't fix all this? Why, well, why don't we know what to do? Why is there this, this deep paralysis happening in our churches and in our nation? Like, why is that? If Jesus came to redeem and restore, and he even said that we would see and do greater things than even he did, like, we would see this great movement. Why have we not seen that? And here it is. 
fourth part of the story of act of God's will was to create it. Act of man's will was to walk away from it. The act of Jesus' will was to buy us back into the room, give us a seat at the table. And the third part of that trinity, the Holy Spirit. And an act of the Holy Spirit's will is to come and empower his people to go and bring the good news to the whole world. In fact, in the beginning of the book of Acts, kind of the thesis of the story is Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, um, I want you to stay put. Just wait just a second until, until you receive my spirit because that's kind of the detonation. That's the, the button where if you think about the, like those dangerous things, one little button can create all sorts of havoc in our world. Detonation of bombs. It's like this activation where the opposite of the spirit of living God kind of can be detonated over the earth, right? And he says, just wait, 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 wait. One day, it's going to happen. And when it does, you're going to receive my spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the world. And so we've been, over the last uh, few weeks, looking at what it looks like to actually live with the Holy Spirit inside us and make that move out into our world. God is going to use you to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. One day we'll get in heaven and it'll be glorious. But God wants to give every man and woman and child a glimpse of that coming kingdom through the Holy Spirit in each of us. So how do we operate with that? That's what we've been looking at. And so while it's not an exhaustive study of Acts, it is an exhaustive study on the one who empowers this great movement. So we just kind of walk through. I've seen lots of things happen so far. I remember I told you just a second ago that God says, wait, you'll receive my spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. And at this point, everything we've seen, everything we've seen has just been in Jerusalem, right? So this hasn't even been, you know, this hasn't been activation 2.0 yet. This is just the start of the city. So we have seen uh, this town of 40,000 mostly religious people with hardened, uncircumcised hearts is what the scriptures say, right? They were far from God, but boy, do they like their rules and their regulations, and they like their control. And this is what you learned a little bit last week is people who like control hate people they can't control, right? And so we've seen this movement in, in Jerusalem, and so there are 40,000 really controlling, think they can earn their salvation or their value kind of thing, and now there's been this conversion rate that's just astronomical, like, goes from a few hundred now to over 10,000, thousands and thousands of people in this religious state are now going, Jesus is Lord. Like, this is a crazy movement, and these people who like control are going, how do we, what do we do here? How do we stop this? And so they imagine if they can kind of clip off the leaders a little bit, then, then maybe the movement would stop. And that's where we saw last week one of this, the new leaders was Stephen. Now, he was— um, Different ethnicity, probably. A different culture. He was a Hellenistic Jew. Gets invited to the table as someone who can lead people. And so you see Stephen kind of do those things. And then we see in that story that it actually, while well, it ends up glorious for Stephen, it ends up really bad for him as well. And so because of his declaration of God's goodness, his invitation to all people, that all people could have access to God. They didn't need some person who had money or some kind of religious leader or someone who was educated. All people, ordinary people, could respond to the obstacles of the day to do incredible supernatural things in our world, see supernatural opportunities kind of arise. And so these folks did not know what to do with Stephen. So they trump up some false charges and um, they bring him before the, the kind of the ruling council because they were going to, they, they do, they kill him, but they make all these accusations. And then finally, finally they say to Stephen, what do you have to say for yourself? This is really important. Lean in with me here. Um, a few weeks ago, I um, 
kind of came and chatted with you on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, one of those nights. She's talking about the racial complications in our world, right? And, um, and what, I, what I challenged you all to do was to just listen, just listen, right? Just listen and empathize, right? And there's been, I'm not going to say pushback, from, but some questions of going, that's all, we want, that's all we're supposed to do? We're just supposed to listen? Like, at what point, what, how, what do we do next? Like, is this it? And I'm going, hey, let's just listen for a second. Um, shared this in the overtime this past weekend, and one of uh, my favorite thought leaders, his name's Seth Godin, and he talks about marketing, this idea that uh, there's just so much noise everywhere, right? Drive through Philly. I was in Philly on Saturday, and I am, I mean, I am <laughs> angry at the billboards I see in there. Like, just, like, what in the world is going on, right? And all this stuff coming at us. When you get online, all these things popping up, all these notifications on your phone, all these emails you're sorting through. And about 10 years ago, Seth Godin just kind of pointed out, like, that that's not having its intended effect, right? Like, like even when all this COVID stuff happening happens, you start to get emails from all the CEOs of any place you've ever bought, you know, any kind of product from. And they're all telling you about... COVID. There's like 75 CEOs telling you about, you know, the coronavirus and what they're doing. And first couple you thought were pretty neat. Oh, that's nice for them to inform it. Then it goes, man, it's just way too much information. And so Seth just kind of explained one of his great thoughts is if the 20th century was about gathering information, the 21st century has become about sorting it. So how do we sort all this information? And what he leaned into and said, you know, the kind of, the only kind of marketing that works is called permission marketing. It's where we invite someone in to share what it is that they have, right? It's called permission marketing. The, the, the one with the best return is where the receiver of the marketing is the one who gets to decide when they receive it, right? So what I love about the story of, of Stephen, they finally go, they make up all these fake charges, and they go to him and go, what do you have to say for yourself? Permission marketing. This is it. Angry guy with the bullhorn screaming on the street. Permission marketing, right? And so part of the reason we should pause and listen is so that we can start building rapport with people that are different than us, have different backgrounds and educations and ethnicities and cultures and all those different things, so that at some point they can invite us in to the, the genuine conversation about what's going on in their world, right? That's called permission. Hey, would, would you speak, right? Now, that, that's complicated, and Sometimes you got to wrestle through, well, what, what, what do we speak? And I would point out that there's some really great things to speak and some hope to offer, and there'll probably be some criticism that comes with it. And so this will be a really, really good message for you to kind of lean into and listen. And so finally, Stephen gets permission to speak, and he stands up and speaks. He speaks in love and grace and truth and hard truth. And it's the longest sermon captured in the book of Acts by a layperson. And what's interesting in here is there's something about the conviction and the power that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't appear that anybody interrupts him. He just declares this good news. Luke captures it for us. He points this guy named Saul that's going to be a big part of the book of Acts and all the New Testament. This guy who his heart's transformed to a guy who loves Jesus. And it's responsible for moving this Jerusalem church all the way to the west, right? And so you see all these things happen. And so Stephen stands before him and makes these beautiful declarations. You can read them yourself, particularly Acts chapter 7, uh, 40, uh, one, uh, 2 through 50-something, that really, really beautiful thing. And it uh, doesn't go well for Stephen. They didn't like what he said, and they threw rocks at him. They murdered him. He died. But I want you to hear this. The very end, as he is, about to die, it says he looked up and he saw 
Jesus. And he was standing at the right hand of his father. Not sitting, standing. And he saw him. And as he's dying, that's the picture he sees in God and all of his perfection. And shared the analogy um, Tuesday. And just want to make sure you all hear this. It's, it's this. It's like if you have kids, maybe you've, I'm, I'm guessing you've gone with them to get shots or their arm set back because it was broke or vaccines or, you know, whatever. You've gone to, you've been in a spot where your kid was either in pain or about to be in pain and they were really anxious about it right and some of you have children who can't stand like the sight of a needle so what do you do like when they're about to get that what do you do you're 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 drawing their attention to you right you're going hey look at daddy look look under the stairs don't look at that don't look look there look here i am with you i'm not leaving you we got this hey hey, no no eyes up eyes up just look 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 no don't look down Look, look hey i am with you i got you we got this and it will be good this is for your good right and so that's kind of the picture that Stephen has. Jesus going, no, no, look at me. Rocks are being pelted at him. And going, no, 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 look at me. You've got this. We've got this. This will be for our good in the kingdom. And your good in the kingdom. And my glory. And hey, hey, we got this. So I just wanted to tell you, like, I don't want you to miss that. In the middle of whatever pain and suffering you're going through, there's a place to look. And it's not at the circumstances around us. So we look at all the chaos around us. Look up, look up. Look at Jesus and all this. I'm going to kind of help you see that today. And so that's where we found ourselves. Stephen dies. Then this movement continues to happen. What's interesting here is it's actually this movement that transforms all of the area, right? So it's all Jerusalem because God says, you'll be my witnesses everywhere. And people are like, oh, we kind of just want to stay put, right? We don't want to go out in those other nations where there's the creepy Gentiles, right? There's these Jewish people with their Jewish laws. And now there's these Gentiles. Those are considered the pagans. They're like the godless people, right? They... You know, they, they, they did bad things and sinned differently than the, the Jewish people did. And so um, what happens in this moment is Stephen dies and the Christian Jews, right, right all there, they're going, uh-oh, this is a bad place to be. So what do they do? They scatter. You see this? Even God uses their fear and worry and the complications of the oppression that they're seeing to scatter them across the globe, right? So if you've ever, like, stepped on an ant hill, right, that's H-I-L-L, not H-E-E-L, I don't think ants have hills, but I don't, I say the both words the same. If you ever step on, you know, the ant combine that they live in, and you step on them, and you, you know the picture, right? They just scatter. You shouldn't do that. It's not very nice, but they scatter all over the place, right? That's kind of what happened, right? It looked like this big oppression came down in Jerusalem. The big foot came down. All of a sudden, these Jews are just scattering. Uh, these Christians are just scattering. But guess what they're taking with them? The Spirit of the living God. Right? And so now all of a sudden, this movement of the Holy Spirit begins out of this broken complication where these Jewish officials are going, we finally figured it out. But they're actually, they're actually pushed the detonation bomb where this Spirit you know, goes all sorts of different places. So you can see in Acts 8 and 9, these, these big movements. One is um, with these uh, government officials you can, and that uh, have this great conversion. You can go back and read it. And then we see kind of the moment that Saul becomes Paul. But again, this story is not about an exhaustive study of the book of Acts. It's an exhaustive study on the work of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see now, if we've seen all this happen in Jerusalem, I want you to see now what's about to happen throughout the, the rest of Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world. So that'd be like here, then Philly, then Northeast, then the Mid-Atlantic, then the U.S., then the globe, that kind of thing, right? And so I want you to see this movement where finally what we see is the gospel as for all people. Not people that look like you. Praise God, because it didn't start with people that look like you, right? 
Uh, the reality is, if you're watching this, Jesus didn't look like you, right? I mean, he was a Middle Eastern guy. And so this, this gospel starts there and then makes its move out to the outermost parts of the earth. And so I want you to see how this happens. And I want you to see it's for everyone. And so what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 10 and 11 is that God is going to call one of the most devout Jewish Christians out there, uh, Peter, right? Bold and blunt. And uh, God's going to call him to some uncomfortable places to go connect with people that are not like him, that he would not like to meet with. And beyond all that, he, God's actually going to call Peter to eat food that has been declared unclean for thousands of years, right? And so Peter is like, wait, God, are you sure you want me to do that? And so I want you to see the story between Peter, a Christian Jew, and Cornelius, a Gentile in his family. And so we get this, you know, kids video I want you to see. It's you know, over Acts 10, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to read to you Acts 11 to kind of help you understand what's going on here. So I want you to watch this video with me. Here you go. Cornelius was a man who lived in Caesarea. He was an officer in the Roman army, and he and everyone in his house worshipped God. Cornelius helped other people, and he always prayed to God. One afternoon, Cornelius saw a vision of an angel of God coming to him. The angel said, Cornelius. Cornelius was afraid. He looked at the angel and said, what is it? The angel said, God has heard your prayers and he has seen how you help others. Then the angel instructed Cornelius to send for a man named Peter, who was in the city of Joppa. Cornelius sent two of his servants and one soldier to Joppa. The next day, as the servants and soldiers were nearing the city, Peter went up on the roof of the house to pray. He was hungry, but while he was waiting for the meal, Peter saw a vision. In this vision, Peter saw something like a large sheep coming down from heaven. In the sheep were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said. I have never eaten anything that is not clean or not used for food. Again, a voice said to him, God has made these clean. Do not call them unfit to eat. This happened three times, and then the whole thing was taken up into heaven. Peter tried to understand what the vision meant. Then the men Cornelius had sent arrived at the gate. They explained that Cornelius had seen a vision, and an angel instructed him to send for Peter. So the next day, Peter went with the men to Caesarea. When Peter got to Cornelius' house, he began to speak. Peter explained that God does not consider people to be better than others. God had sent good news to the Israelites. Jesus is Lord of all. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven, Peter said. While Peter said this, the Holy Spirit came down on those who heard the message. Not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles or non-Jews too. 
The Jewish believers were amazed. Cornelius, his friends, and his relatives were baptized in the name of Jesus, and Peter stayed with him for a few days. God showed Peter that just as there is no clean and unclean food, there are no clean and unclean people. God calls believers to tell everyone the good news about Jesus, no matter who they are or where they come from. Jesus is Lord of all. So I hope you watched that video, and I uh, hope you can see uh, the modern-day implications of this, right? The idea of this isn't a message on racism, but I want to just call it out. The idea of racism is believing that any race has superiority of or any of another, or that any race is inferior, right? And so what we see 2,000 years ago is deep-rooted racism. Jews would look at Gentiles and say, they are dirty, broken individuals, right? And um, Gentiles would look at Jews and think they are so obnoxious and hypocritical and fake, right? We never want to be like them, right? We're, we're better, they're worse. We're better, they're worse. You, you, you see the implications. And so in these complicated implications, what's happening is the Spirit of the living God is going to call people out of their comfort zone, right? Call people out of their comfort zone to go engage with the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go and transform the world, to make heaven uh, uh, come down to this earth, right? And in heaven, there's every nation and tribe, right? If you only want to be with your race, then you don't want to go to heaven. You don't. Now, I don't think that many of you want that, right? And so this isn't a message on that. And I wouldn't even, I don't even want to give you some kind of steps on what you should do next in all this. What I'm saying is, in this moment, Peter was called to go engage in a different culture by the Spirit of the living God. So it would be prudent for me to tell you that my goal was not to speak on behalf of the Spirit to you. My goal was to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and invade my life and in your life. And so what I hope happens for you, particularly those of you who, who believe in this Jesus, if you don't, stay with me. It'd still be worth your time. That believe in this Jesus, that you would ask that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and speak to you about how, how he wants to use you and bring in his kingdom, heaven to earth, right now, in the middle of the, the chaos that surrounds us. Holy Spirit wants to use you to restore this earth. You hear me? The Holy Spirit wants to use you to do that. Not me, not just collectively CLC, but you. This was an individual, Peter. Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, and then Peter went and did what the Holy Spirit told him to do. And there was this beautiful moment that shows us what the gospel does. It unites. It, it does all those things. It brings unity and peace and hope and comfort to our world. And it takes, it in the, it takes different people, right? Diverse groups and brings them to a place of unity, then to a place of maturity in Christ. That's what we see in this. And so you have a part in that. If you are a Christ follower, there is a mandate that the Holy Spirit wants to use you to hear from the Holy Spirit and do what he says. Now, Peter does that. And there are people that are thrilled and amazed by it. And there are a lot of people who are pretty upset about it. Like, really upset. Because what does this mean? Does that mean we have to change our cultures? Does that, mean we, uh, uh, does that mean we have to change how we worship? Does that mean we have to change what we eat? I don't want to eat that stuff. Does that mean we have to change the songs that we sing? Right? Does that mean we have to change our musical instruments? Like, there's this 
there's so many implications in all this of so there's a lot of people who are really upset right and so what we're going to see here is that peter is going to really get some messy criticism he he is criticized for it the people take shots at him for it they can't believe that he would do this they can't believe he would go be with unclean people and there was a lot of pressure and a lot of um disgust that people had towards peter right so what i want you to hear really really important is that our job in this your job in this is to hear from the holy spirit and do what he says and you are not responsible for the pain or discomfort your obedience to God causes other people. Let me say that again. You are not responsible for the pain or discomfort that your obedience to God causes other people. Right? And so in this moment, Peter's going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God says, even though it's hard, even though it's complicated, and we're going to see people come back towards Peter and take some shots at him, and then we're, we're going to get to see how Peter responds. And so this is actually... What, uh, let me read it to you, verse by verse, beginning in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Here it goes. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So now all of a sudden, all these Christian Jews that like their customs and their culture are now hearing that this is spread to the unclean people. Got it? So uh, people are going to be frustrated. Peter's going to be conflicted about what to do. So let's watch what happens gentiles were rebellious they were ungodly they sinned differently right verse two and three here's what it says so when peter went up to jerusalem the circumcised believers criticized him and said you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them criticism how dare you why would you do that do you not know what they've said about us do you not know what they've done about us do you not know how they've that how they sin and how dirty that is do you understand that you have to take a bath to come back here do you understand you won't be able to get in the synagogue for the next couple of weeks do you understand those things right verse four starting from the beginning <laughs> peter told him the whole story this is so funny i was in the city of joppa praying not doing mushrooms not smoking marijuana, just praying. Want to be clear here, just praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. Sure, Peter, right? In a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. You see this. This is the first outdoor movie screen. By the way, uh, second Friday in July, we will start outdoor movies again. It'll be a, like a giant sheet. We'll come down out of the sky and we'll get to watch movies in community again. And we have some plans, hopefully, to continue to do some of those fun things outside. So Stephen's going, uh, Peter's going, hey, let me show you this. It was like a big movie screen. Do you understand there's no TVs or projectors in this time? There's none of that stuff. <laughs> so here it is. God, like, even invented that, right? Big movie screen comes down. <laughs> by its four quarters, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. No cats at all, because God doesn't like cats. Then I added that. Then I heard a voice telling me, <laughs> oh my gosh, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. Mm, right? So I was, uh, I was, when I was out in Montana, like I, I preached this passage, and literally there was like these caveman grunts throughout the whole place. And after that, they kind of like left in the middle of the service with their guns and went and shot wild bears, right? So he's going, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, what? You, those are dirty animals. You mean, it, what? Right? So, so funny, right? Um, verse 8, I replied, 
So Peter's telling the people, watch this. Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Right? So Peter's going, no, God, I can't do that. I am so perfect and I am so godly. Nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. Some unclean things have come out of my mouth, God. We know about those stories, right? But, but no way. That's what he's saying to all these religious people. Hey, guys, I didn't want to go either. I didn't want to eat those things. No, God, no, surely nothing unclean will ever enter my mouth. I will be perfect and holy and blameless because that's how Jews earn their salvation. Like, that's a false belief. He still got religion in him, right? We do too. Some of you think that uh, the goal of church, and this has been complicated because you can't come fi- uh, like physically into the building, is that uh, the goal of church is uh, to come empty your sin bucket, right? So throughout the week, kind of you go and fill that thing up with what you look at, what you eat, what you say, what you do, all those things, right? So you get this big bucket and you kind of load it in and dump it out on Sunday. You hear that God loves you, he's, you're forgiven. Then you take your empty bucket back out there, right? And just these broken ideas of that's what the church is for or what, it, what it's about, right? That somehow there are certain words we say that please God more than others. He's going, surely God, I would never, ever, ever do that. So, so interesting. He's acting like he's so godly, right? So godly and saying nothing unclean. While at the same time, he's telling God no. You hear me? Like, this is so interesting. Like, the juxtaposition of that, that he's going, God, I would never do those things because I'm so godly. But I'm not godly enough not to tell you no, right? And so he's literally in this righteous way saying no to God. And then he's saying to, to all the people, he says this, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's really good news for us because we're impure, right? And God's going, don't call impure things that my son has covered with his blood, right? No, no, no. Don't call my children whom I'm loved, who God is, who I've paid the price for. That Jesus, when he was on the cross and I was turning my back on him, the reason I was turning my back on him is that I was thinking about all these people I love right? Do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And then Peter goes, this happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again and wouldn't come back for thousands of years in an inflatable movie screen in our parking lot, right? Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. So movie screen goes up. He tells me that I can't call things unclean, that he has made clean, right? So I've got to change my perspective, change the way I think, and then all of a sudden, these people show up. Uh, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Okay? See that? Read that again. The Spirit told me, powered by the Spirit, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send Jop to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. So... Again, you see the New Testament. All these guys get nicknames. Peter's rock. You just see these really, really great nicknames. Simon, who we call Peter. He will bring a message through which you and all your households will be saved. So you're going to need this Jew to come into your house, right? So Peter's going, no, look, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. But who can? Like, so they're going, look, guys, I don't want to do it. But this thing kept, this spirit kept telling me and didn't really want to argue with God. And this is what he says. Verses, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Listen, 
I want us to get back to the text, but just really do want you to pause here. I think this is, this is the hang-up for us. Hang-up for me. Right? I don't really know that you and I believe that the Holy Spirit still does this. That the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and speaks on behalf of God to other people like that. The Spirit of the living God. And even this, it says, the Spirit said to me, you're going to see how believe that can happen. I don't have that experience. And you go, when's the last time Josh, you, all of us, right? I've sat still long enough to pause and just be present with the God of the universe and say, God, I just want to hear your voice, right? Frankly, I don't think we do it because I think we're afraid we'll be disappointed, right? So you're not even asking because you're afraid he's going to say no and then you're going to be disappointed and I'm like, well, then you're already disappointed and you're just, you're just saying no on behalf of God, right? So what would it look like for us to start walking in this confidence that perhaps the Holy Spirit really is real? Perhaps the reason our world isn't restored and restoration isn't happening at the level that God, Jesus said, and you will see and do greater things, right? Perhaps that's not happened because we have actually been telling the Holy Spirit no. We have making, been making decisions on behalf of the God of the universe going, no, no, God, I don't think you're going to do that, so I'm just going to go fix it myself. Right? No, no, I don't think you can fix my marriage, so let me just fix it myself. No, no, I don't think you can fix what's going on in our world. Let me go fix it myself. Maybe I'll just write a Facebook post instead. Right? I mean, what's happened is we have actually forgotten about this part of God. And if this is true, if this is true, here's the great news of this. It's in all of us. All of us. Me, you, every person listening, our entire church, every Christ follower in the world could be positioned right now to experience this is a great revival as a result of just inviting the Holy Spirit to be in charge. In this, what you see, Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. Peter goes and speaks to people. Holy Spirit comes and speaks to those people as well, right? That the, the, the main player in this, the hero of this is not Peter or Cornelius. The hero of this story is the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. So on them as he came on us at the beginning, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water. He remembered in this moment. Oh, Jesus said something about this. Jesus says, no, John baptized with water because it was just a neat object lesson. You were dirty. Jesus wants to clean you. But this is what Jesus said. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One is a symbol. One is a transformation. Right? Yep. Baptism is not just a symbol. It is Jesus going, look, no, no. This is going to be crazy because this is not just a symbol. This isn't like a cute anecdotal thing to talk about. What, what Peter's saying here is he's like, I remember that God actually said he would let his spirit come and bathe us, transform us, right? Do you believe that? Really? What would it look like for us to really believe that? So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So he's going, look, you're criticizing me. You think I'm crazy. But if God did that for us, remember that? We experienced it. Hey, you remember, you remember, remember, remember sitting up in the, that upper room at Pentecost? Do you remember what happened there? Right? No, no, really. Do you, do you remember that moment that you heard God speak when he whispered your name and told you you were loved and covered and free and welcome? Do you remember that? you remember that? Like, do you remember that moment? Hey, guys, do you remember when that happened for you? If he's going to do that to us, what makes it so special that he wouldn't actually do it to those people too? Why wouldn't he do it to all of us? Who am I to say what God can do? And who, why would I stand in God's way? This is really, really interesting because I think this flies in the face of what our culture tells us that Peter's basically going, look, guys, this is not me following my heart. I didn't, I didn't want to eat the rabbits, right? 
I don't want to eat that pig. I don't want a hot dog encased in pig intestines. That's disgusting. I didn't want to do that. Like, if those are up to me and my feelings, I'm staying away from there. I don't get it. I don't speak the same language. I don't understand whatever it is. This is not because this is me, right? I like my posse and my people. That's what, I like my comfort, right? That's our Lord, our comfort, right? I like my comfort. This is not about me. But if it were about me, I wouldn't do that. If it were me following my heart, right? If it were me doing what, what all the culture tells us you're supposed to do, follow your heart, be your own truth in your own self, right? Live your own truth, right? All these, these lies, right? Talk to you about this a lot. The worst advice you, should, you could ever give your children is to tell them to follow their heart. Jeremiah is very blunt about this and says, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And if you're just sitting thinking about it long enough, you know that's true. You have followed your heart into a relationship that has done real damage to you. You followed your heart into that timeshare that you're still paying for and don't use anymore. I mean, you followed your heart into that new car or that new spouse or that new plan, that new job. You followed your heart so many places and go, this is, my heart felt this, right? This idea that we're ran by our feelings, right? And Peter's going, I'm not following my feelings. I'm following what's right and true. I can do my, follow my heart, which will lead me to destruction, or I can just walk in the path that God's called us to. Right? I've shared this with you before. That there is um, this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that just, you know, it's cute. Uh, coffee mug post, great for quotes. And it says this. It says, do what you feel in your heart to be right, for you'll be criticized anyway. Right? Do what you feel like. She's going, follow your heart because you're going to get criticized. She's half right. You are. No matter what you do, maybe your in-laws, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe your co-workers, maybe your church family, whatever. No one is always going to agree with you with everything that you do. The reality is we live in a world that is really critical, right? And that's really painful because the Bible tells us that there's power of life and death in the tongue. And some of us are still walking with some of that deep hurt from something your dad, your mom, your grandparent said to you. Maybe you had a coach who called you lazy. Someone early on poked fun at your, you know, the, your proportions of your body as you've carried with you for years like we all know that criticism is just real in our life like this idea that sticks and stones may break our bones but words have never or can never hurt you that's just a lie too like whoever came up with that has never really been deeply wounded by someone with their words right i'd much rather you break my arm than wound me deeply with words right and so yes it's true you'll be criticized but just following your heart there's got to be a better way than that right and so Okay, if we don't follow our heart, what do we follow? Peter's going, hey, you've got to follow Jesus. Well, how do you know how to follow Jesus? Watch what happens next. When they heard that, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And praise God. So then, even to, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter goes, look, look, here's, here's the thing. I don't know what to tell you other than I need, I heard from God and I'm just going to do what he says, right? Right, that's it. That, that literally is the message here. Really, really pretty simple message of going, our goal in life is to hear from God and do what he says, right? But to hear from God is really, really hard. So how do you hear from God? This is where I joke with you all the time. Well, wouldn't it be nice if God would be so gracious to us that he would sit down and write us a letter? Right, just write us a letter, tell us how he feels, tell us what he wants for us, tell us the plans he has for us, and tells us how much he loves us, and why he created us, and what he wants us to do. Wouldn't it just be really, really nice? 
And then I would argue with you, he did that. He took 1,500 years. He wrote it in all sorts of different uh, uh, literary devices, from narratives to poems to wisdom literature to history books, like all this different stuff. And he put it all together and gave it to us. He gave you his word spoken to people to, and written on his behalf so that we could have this, right? I would say that God's will starts with God's word, which is why no, they're long sermons. I know we read through scriptures a little by little every single time and we talk and talk about the scriptures because this is where we hear God's heart for God's word. And so I hope as you read this, you go, God loves all people. God loves all people. We shouldn't call something impure that God's made clean. And God has made the possibility of righteousness and cleanliness and godliness available to all seven or eight billion people on this planet. It is available to them. Jesus, when he died on the cross, shed his blood, covered them like he covered us. The only difference is maybe they don't know it yet. And that's why I wish I could have uh, taught you a different lesson today with uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch because he's, we find him reading the passage of Scripture out of Isaiah. And, and Philip goes, hey, do you know what? what you're reading about and he goes how could I know if no one's ever taught me you get that right like the spirit of living God is living and active and so is his word and it transforms life not me not preaching not I mean it says the foolishness of preaching people are saved but the reason of that is because it's preaching this word in the gospel and Jesus says that don't call anything unclean that I've made or impure that I've made clean and do you see that do you see that Every single human you interact with, regardless of their ideology, regardless of their spitting vitriol at you or singing your praises, every single one of those people matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. Every single one. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, people on the other side of the aisle, the things that we're declaring about people speaking death over them, every single human, every single human, every single human, on all sides of this. What God has covered, he says, do not call something impure that I have made clean. So, our objective is to help people understand what God has made for them, and that's cleanliness and purity and righteousness, not by their own good deeds, but by God's work. And you go, well, I don't know that I can do that. It's interesting, because I think that's really the pressure, and I'm really proud of Peter here, because all this criticism, you go, man, he really... He knew that he was going to get some of that, and he kind of talked about it, but I don't know that I want that. I don't know that I want to go love people that are different than me. I don't know that I, 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 don't, I want to engage with others and care for them and serve them, even while they scream and yell at me. I don't, I don't know that I want to do that, right? And One, it's uncomfortable, but I think there's a kind of an, another piece in that. And here's what I think it is, and I think this is a big obstacle that we have to overcome if we're going to move forward in the gospel, right? If we want real transformation to happen in our church, in our city, here's the one I ask you ready for it. The way by which that happens is we have to stop worrying about the praise of men or the criticism of men and just worry about God's truth spoken to us and God's spirit empowering us to do those things, right? In fact, Jesus alludes to this. Um, the gospel of John does. It talks about just kind of uh, even how Jews were starting to follow Jesus, but they couldn't say it out loud because they were so afraid of what their 
in-laws would think or their parents would think or their brothers or sisters would think. In fact, it says this in uh, John 12, uh, 42 through 43. Uh, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders, these religious leaders, believed in him. That's Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. Why? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Want to know why? And this is the obstacle. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Let me read that again. They loved human praise more than praise from God. Right? So much about us walking in truth and loving people that are different than us is we are so worried about the criticism of it. Right? We worried about the discomfort of a boy. Do we love the praise of men and not the praise of God? Even some of our fake wokeness is because we love the, the praise of men and not God. And so the goal here is we got to hear from God and then do what he says. Right? Hear from God, do what he says. Hear his Holy Spirit speak to you and then do what he says. Right? And so you go, okay, how do I do that? God, you asked. I actually led you to ask it. Maybe you're not even asked it. Maybe I'm just saying it, but regardless. There's actually a couple things. And I'd grab a pen. I really would. I'd grab a pen. That's P-E-N. Pen. Not like something to poke. Like a, yeah, anyway, pencil. There you go. A pencil. Whatever. I'd grab something to write with. Sharpie. There you go. And I'd write these four things down. Because we're going to see exactly what Peter did. This is, I think, prescriptive, not just descriptive, meaning this isn't just telling a story. These are some things we can do. I don't usually give you four simple steps because I think the gospel is a lot more nuanced than that and I'd, I'd hate to tell you to do something and it'd be different than what the Holy Spirit's leading you in this. So I'm really, really careful about these things, but I, I do think this is important. So here they are. Ready? Here's number one. Um, both for Peter and for the Gentiles. First thing that we see is they received his word. They received his word. They received his word. The word of God. They received his word. The word of God. Here it is. They received his word. We saw it last week. The word of God spread. This book, the Bible, God's living and active word is for our hearts. They receive it, right? So they can yeah, hear it and then be doers of what they hear, right? So that's the first thing they did. Now watch this. Second one is this. They submitted to his spirit. They received his word and they submitted to his spirit. So first question for number one is, have you sought his word? Second question here, maybe you need to write this down. Have you submitted to his spirit? They received his word. They submitted to his spirit. You submitted to the spirit of the living God. You pause and go, Holy Spirit, would you please speak? Would you please have your way? Holy Spirit, would you give me the courage to walk across the street and talk to my neighbor? Holy Spirit, would you do those things, right? They received his word. They submitted to his spirit. And watch this. They believed in Jesus. Have you believed in Jesus? Like, no, like really, that you're not impure because God has made you clean? Like, have you believed in the work of Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus? Do you actually believe that Jesus is your Savior, right? Do you believe that he literally, as he was declaring on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. He was talking about you and I. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe that he really is asking God to forgive you? Do you believe that? They believed in Jesus. And then the fourth one is this. They repented and received grace. They repented and received grace. So here's the question. Have you repented? Have you repented for your judgment and your sin, your anger, your disrespect to the living God? Have you, re- have you repented? That literally means have you acknowledged and changed the way you think about God and His Son? Have you repented for choosing your own plan over God's? Have you 
repented and then received the grace from it? Because when you go, God, I, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I chose my own path. I'm so sorry I led my family down that path. I'm so sorry I made that decision. God, I'm so sorry that I was defiant to you. Scripture saying, First John, that whenever we ask for forgiveness, when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful, meaning he will always do this, and just. We'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The only thing that's keeping you from walking in the freedom of that righteousness is actually repenting. Have you actually acknowledged to God that you now believe there's a better way to live and you chose the wrong path before? Have you repented? Then have you received the grace and forgiveness that comes through that? There are four things, right? Have you received his word, submitted to his spirit, believed in Jesus, and repented, and received his forgiveness? By the way, this is all brand new to you. This is how you become a Christian. One, right? You received his word, right? You see this? We just read his word, told you about Jesus, and you're receiving it, right? And you're submitting to the Spirit. You feel like this Holy Spirit right this second is talking to you and going, hey, you're my child. We have plans for you. I see you as good and righteous because of what Jesus did for you. You're receiving that, and you start to believe it. And then, then you hear this. You believe in Jesus, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus. Whoever says Jesus is boss, they are saved, right? you done that? And whoever uh, repents and is made righteous. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he covered you for his sins? And can you be confident enough and humble enough to acknowledge that you have sinned against a living and holy and perfect God? Have you? If you have, then see that grace. Take a deep breath right now because you are a child of God. You're in his kingdom for all eternity. You and him. Just because of that. Just because you said, yep, to all those things. That makes you a Christian, which is such a weird term now. That makes you a follower of Christ. But the best term is, that makes you a child of the living God. And that means you have a seat at his table for all eternity. But that doesn't happen when you get into heaven someday. You get that now. The Spirit of the living God wants to come and engage in you and, and, and help you to start bringing his kingdom of heaven right here on earth in the way you love and treat people and care for people. And so that's lofty, really neat to think about. But let me actually boil this down just a a little bit more. When you look at what Peter does, what he really does is he just stands really confidently on truth, right? He just stands confidently on truth, and truth is a very complicated thing for us right now. So Peter's going, no, I'm just walking in truth. I'm just walking in the truth. I'm walking in the truth, right? So when we know what's true, right, when we know who we are, all that criticism kind of bounces off, and when your spouse or your in-law or your parents take some jab at you, and you go, oh, that's not true. I know what's true. I'm a, I'm a child of the Most High God. The king is what it says in, in Psalm 45. is enthralled, captivated by your beauty. God loves me. God has a plan for me. I know those things. Like, that starts to bounce off. But how do you actually know truth, right? Because is truth relative? Do each of us get to own our own truth? You understand the complications of all this, and yet it seems so silly that it's complicated. So let me really, really boil this down to you. So what Peter clung to was truth. So what is truth? You ready for this? Lots of time to get this. What is truth? You ready? It's really, really good. So Jesus, right before he dies, he's meeting with his disciples, right? And he's breaking to them the bad news about him leaving. Now, I told you this is good news last week because he's going to his father, which means we get a spirit reading about this. But when they, he breaks his news to them, he's telling them, I'm moving. They are devastated. Not only is he moving, he's moving out of this plane, right? This dimension and going back into heaven. And so they're freaking out. And Jesus pauses. You see in John chapter 4, he says, hey, hey, do not let your hearts be troubled. And they're going, of course your hearts are troubled. You just told us you're breaking up with us. He's like, I'm not breaking up with you. I'm just going to a different place, but it's okay, right? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me, is what he's saying. Believe in me. Do you believe in me? Peter, James, John, do you believe in me? Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, guys, I wouldn't tell you this, right? And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Like, that's the plan. Like, and you're going to get in, and they're going, well, how do we get to that place? We don't know how to get to that place. Thomas says it, and Jesus goes, oh, Thomas. You do know how to get to that place. And this is what Jesus says, John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. You want in on this? Here's what it is. I am the way, the truth, and life. You see this? Truth is not some idea or some belief system or some gut reaction. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus goes, I am the truth. You want to walk in the truth? Follow me. Well, how do we do that? We read his word and do what it says, right? And so what will happen in, in a few weeks, middle of July, we'll be starting a new sermon series. And guys, we're going we're gonna to be there for a while. We're going to walk through the gospel of Luke. I mean, it may be years, two, three years to get through it. The first six weeks of the study are just on Luke chapter one. Some of that is because what I'm realizing when I cover a lot of text, it takes up a lot of time. You, you're aware of that and want to honor your time in that. And so we're going to break it up in smaller parts because here's what I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be able to believe in him. I want you to have deep resolve and confidence in knowing he covered you with his sin and there is nothing you could ever do to make him love you any less or nothing you can do to make him love you more. You're chosen and covered, right? And so truth is not an idea. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And so Peter's going, I know the truth. I know Jesus. I saw how he looked at people. I saw how he served people. And he would have served Cornelius, whether he's a Gentile or not. I know who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does. Jesus loves all people, covers all people. And if we as a church could start being like Jesus and serving people who spit on us like Jesus, washing the feet of other people and walking into rooms, even if we have lots of influence, with a towel to serve people. That's what Jesus does. So he goes, no, just, that's what Jesus would have done, right? Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Your solution to all this criticism? Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. And so what's going to happen now is the band's going to lead you into a really beautiful song. It's called Graves in the Garden. The lyrics will be up, but there's this kind of two-part bridge that's so beautiful. And this is what it says. I just want to read it to you. It says this. You turn mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. This is Jesus. You turn shame into glory. That's what Jesus does. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. We don't have a tomb to go cry about Jesus' death, right? He's no longer there. You turn graves into gardens. That's Jesus. You turn bones into armies. That's Jesus. You turn seas into highways. That's Jesus, right? You're the only one who can you're the only one who can. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus, and he is the one who transforms us, then goes back to the Father to advocate for us, and sends us his Spirit to dwell in us so that we can go and be like Jesus. So, would you be courageous enough to believe in him, repent, and acknowledge you want to follow him, and then ask his Spirit to tell you how to serve like him? Because he's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. So would you join me as we sing this last song?
Hey guys, thanks for leaning in today. Um, we got work to do, but it's not your work, it's God's work. He just does it through you. And so restoration's the key. Restoration's the key. So this week, would you ask the spirit of the living God to invade every part of your heart, mind, soul, family, home, workplace, and invite him to come dwell in you and empower you to go and love every single man, woman, and child. And only the way that Jesus would love, by serving and caring and being curious compassionate, with deep empathy and love. Would you do that this week? And then would you report back, share the stories of what you're seeing happen in your world with restoration? Will you share the good news? The other thing about criticism is, boy, the power of life and death is in the tongue. So let's speak some life. Would you speak life to people? And boy, would you, would you jump on this thread or on Facebook or wherever it is? Would you start speaking life about the restoration of Jesus Christ to the people around you? Would you do that this week? A double dog dare you. You won't regret it, I promise. May you go in peace and hope and in the ways of Jesus this week. Love you guys.